It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and the show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. Today we're going live via Zoom, so please excuse the acoustic variations. My name is Kay Wenigal, and today we'll be talking about Newcastle, a town in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, which has the world's biggest and busiest coal exporting harbour, exporting up to 14 million tonnes last January. The Institute of Energy, Economics and Financial Analysis said in a 2018 report that coal exports had declined since 2015 and forecast more contraction. It said the Port of Newcastle was operating at 24% spare capacity and had recognised an urgent need to move away from coal reliance. So the city of Newcastle, which was relying on coal and steel for its revenue, made a big decision to completely change its direction. To find out more, we are talking to John Scheel, BZE researcher in Newcastle, who was originally working on the dark side in coal-fired power plants, and Dominic Hess, Head of Research at BZE. Hi Dominic, and hi John. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Yeah, good to see you again. Okay, hi, how are you? Firstly, John, can you tell us a little bit about Newcastle? The old and the new, how big it is, employment levels, and its livability? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, Newcastle had around 150,000 people in the council area in 2010. Uh, and there was about 10% unemployment when BHP left in 1999. Um, it had closed about 3,000 jobs and some workers, uh, some friends of mine even have not worked since full time. But the council was in, quite environmental, it consulted with the community and the main street, Hunter Street, was very vibrant with lots of shops. Um, I arrived around uh, 2010 um, and the shops were closing due to shopping centre uh, suburban shopping centres and when the mayor changed the council reduced its community consultation um, and sacked its award-winning environmental team um, and then it also supported the government the state government uh, cutting the train service and selling off the world's largest coal exporting port with little in return anyway the revival sort of started with a new mayor and then um, we had a an organisation called Hunter and Ewell, which convinced landowners to lease uh, shop fronts at a low rent if you spruce them up. Um, the state government put the light rail down the middle of Hunter Street um, just so they could sell off the land with no underground coal mining, uh, and they didn't. That didn't require uh, expensive foundation grouting like elsewhere in Newcastle. Um, the university developed new space, which is a stunning uh, 95 million dollar building which I call the original education opera house of Australia. So the city is an administrative and academic hub 
Out west, the people are employed in health and academia. And in the north, there's a bit of an industry and manufacturing hub. Uh, from a livability point of view, uh, people are moving back to the city. Uh, the unemployment rate's around, nine, around you know, the 4%, and while, but, but, you know, youth unemployment's around 10%. It's still quite a, you know, a livable city, uh, more so than in the past. Dominique, BZE is committed to working in the Hunter to develop a vision for a prosperous, diversified, healthy and resilient future. What does this mean and how will you do it? As you mentioned, Kay, uh, there is this shift away from coal, the shift away from steel and this thinking around, well, what will we do instead? And uh, there is a big push um, from a lot of people around the hunter and experts advising the hunter to really look at how we can diversify the hunter. How can we produce an ecosystem of jobs, activities, industry, education that creates a much more resilient uh, system than a one or two horse system um, based on coal and steel. Having said that, there are great opportunities for green steel, uh, which takes a lot of the impact away from steel and really builds that industry. So it's not necessarily about saying no to a specific industry. It's just saying let's build a broader base for which from which the hunter can become a stronger, more resilient, healthier place. And since we're shifting from coal, and coal does have a lot of negative impact, uh, what are the other industries that could continue to service the hunter energy-wise in a way that it can grow, thrive and be prosperous? Second part was um, how will we do it? So currently we're doing a lot of talking, talking to the people of the hunter. BZD is traditionally in Melbourne. We've now employed somebody within the hunter to lead the project there. But what we're doing is talking to communities, talking to industry, talking to the unions, talking to government and saying, what can BZD do to help here? Because there are lots of people doing a lot of wonderful work. So there's the Grattan Institute, there's the ANU, uh, there's Newcastle Uni themselves, there's CSIRO, there's Western Sydney and UTS. There's so many people already doing great work. Um, they're all just doing little bits and pieces. And so uh, we're there to see how can we help? How can we integrate this into a coherent narrative for the hunter? Which is wonderful because that didn't happen in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria or in Port Augusta in South Australia. So it's terrific to see that people are working on this before more coal-fired power plants are closed down and people are losing their jobs. As we mentioned in the introduction, the Newcastle community is transforming from its coal and steelworking past to a new renewable energy future and a couple of years ago decided to move to 100% renewable energy. John, was this a community-led push for clean energy solutions? Yeah, look, um, partly it, it's, I guess, um, partly community, partly council, partly uh, um, even state government to some extent. But um, we've got uh, community organisations like Climate Action Newcastle. Uh, they organise bulk buyers with solar panels and batteries. Uh, we've probably got the largest concentration of solar panels um, probably in Australia and maybe the world. Um, wow. Clean as... Um, yeah, uh, organises community energy purchases. Um, BZD Newcastle's been contacting, you know, councils and the industry and businesses and, and the university, see where, where we can assist. There's a local citizens climate lobby group meeting with government representatives and uh, there's a Newcastle climate change response which organises conferences and talks. It's a very environmental uh, area in Newcastle. There's a lot of green groups, I must admit. And why is that? 
I reckon it's because it's a beautiful place. It is just a stunning place. The beaches, the cliffs, um, up in the in the mountains. I grew up near the Barrington Tops, and it's just a phenomenally beautiful place. So, did this city of Newcastle 100% renewables target, which they actually achieved at the start of this year, stem from its involvement in the Climate Council City's partner powership? Yes, actually, it was a, a funding partner. They did efforts like renewable energy, energy efficiency, sustainable transport. They went into their buildings and uh, uh, educated the workforce and did retrofits and all sorts of things in that regard. And they also got into businesses and they they, uh, contacted 400 businesses um, in combination with the Hunter Business Chamber and TAFE and uh, giving lots of energy monitoring and workshops and things like that. So they... They were very active in um, in getting into the business, uh, their own in their own fleet, in their own buildings, and um, in reducing their own footprint. How is it actually achieving its hundred percent renewables target? It's it's actually done a huge amount of uh, solar PV panels across uh, many of its uh, premises, and the biggest one is at the uh, Summer Hill Waste um, Depot. Um, it's got a five megawatt uh, wind. Uh, uh, five megawatt solar farm out there. And then they've gone and put quite large numbers of solar panels across, uh, you know, the museum, Newcastle Museum, the uh, Works Depot and the Art Gallery and Walls and Library and places like that. Um, and there's a small wind turbine out at the, at the tip as well. So they've done all these uh, renewable energy uh, efforts as well as, um, as reducing their demand. So they've got renewable energy projects, energy efficiency projects. What about sustainable transport? Yes, yes. So what they've done in that regard is they've got uh, lots of charging stations around the place. They've they've been um, just recently they've been putting those in. They've they've got themselves a light rail system which runs on a uh, a battery which recharges at each stop. Uh, when it stops after a minute, it raises its bars and charges off the uh, off the overhead. I haven't heard of that before. Is that a first in Australia? I think it is the first in Australia. I, I'm not sure if the ones in um, in George Street, uh, I, I don't think they're going that way, but uh, maybe the one in Parramatta, you never know. But the other thing they're doing is they're putting in lots of cycleways and uh, and walkways. So they're, they're planning those. There's been extensions to the Fernley track and, uh, and there's been other cycleways that have been they've been lobbied for these in the past and the cycleways movement has done a good job that's such a great idea to electrify our our transport and to encourage healthier ways of getting around i mean we've enjoyed clearer skies this last six weeks since we've all been in lockdown and it's something that we could retain we could retain the increased sound of birds and so forth that we are getting at the moment uh, if we just remove some of those emissions from our transport processes Absolutely. It's wonderful to see how things can change when we stop pollution overnight, and I hope we can remember that. And I understand that the Newcastle City Council aims to have a number of energy and resource management goals by 2020. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, look, um, they're doing things like uh, reducing their their carbon footprint in general by 30%. Uh, That's from about 2008-9 levels. Uh, they're trying to do similar for their potable water use, but, but a little bit more, 50% reduction. Um, 
they're, they're after a 30% reduction in electricity, which when you think about it's pretty good. That, that, that would save them. Because, uh, I mean, the, the cheapest uh, electricity or solar panels you can put in is reducing uh, electricity to start with. Um, it's by far the cheapest. So to reduce it by 30%, you can see that's a huge saving in, um, in PVs. And they were going to do things like 20% uh, reduction in their fossil fuel liquid fuels. Now that's all about uh, cars, you know, trying to reduce, uh, so more efficient cars or going to electric fleet. And um, they, then getting onto the uh, power purchase agreement, things like that. So yeah, they've done very well. Over what period of time have these reductions occurred? Oh yeah, look, uh, it's these, these are reductions in their, uh, they, they measure these values with its carbon footprint. They're doing a carbon, um, and then they, they uh, measure it from a certain period of time. So it's over the last, say, 10 years or, or so, a little bit more. Okay. On the Eastern Seaboard, there are many problems with Australia's electricity grid, and many renewables energy projects aren't able to operate at full capacity. Is there a similar problem here in Newcastle? Yeah, look, it's probably the biggest problem in that um, we got a huge wait list on um, renewable energy projects that are stacked up trying to connect to the grid and uh, for various reasons they're not being allowed and one is capacity of the actual transmission lines. So, and these transmission lines are not uh, a small project. They take between five to seven years to plan it, to get planning approval, to uh, you know get the land, buy, the, buy up the land and build them. So it takes quite a long lead time to get these done. So you've got to expand the capacity of these transmission lines and it's quite a, a big project. And keeping in mind that you know, the government sold them off, you know, uh, Osgood and that quite a while ago, it really, these were the backbone. They should have been left in the state hands and really, it needs to be beefed up and not left to uh, the market, basically. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Dominic Hess, Head of BZD Research, and John Chill, Research in Newcastle, about Newcastle's push for 100% renewable energy. Dominic, we touched on electrification of transport, and mainly public transport and vehicle charging stations. Is there a push for other electrification in the area? Uh, as John mentioned, there there is a, a push to electrification to the point where they're innovating first in Australia to have those um, those wonderful trams, um, bringing in charging stations. But it goes beyond that. It goes to the vision of the Port of Newcastle. Uh, they're transitioning from uh, a the biggest coal port to the biggest energy port, and just by that small transition, it gives them the license to start um, exporting things beyond. Exporting and importing things beyond the coal, and so the bringing in and the manufacturing and the exporting of electrical vehicle infrastructure, whether it's uh, cars, trains, trams, buses, uh, is all very possible in Newcastle, and it's a great opportunity um, to to leverage the infrastructure of Newcastle to create this market and to create these products for Australia. So, does that mean instead of people talking about 100% renewable energy for this area, they could be thinking of Five to 700% renewable energy? Uh, we, we love talking about the, uh, the 500 to 700% um, because that really enables the capacity to transition all of industry to renewable energy. Um, and I'm going to hand over to John because I know that this is a passion of his, so he can briefly talk to that. But as he mentioned, it is critical that we look at the transmission infrastructure to enable that. Yeah, look, I, I think... Um 
heavy industry is a particular challenge and my, my engineering background uh, and having worked on the power stations uh, and, and knowing the value of having, um, uh, like for example, an aluminium smelter that can, it can go down a little bit when there's peak power so that you can actually uh, build a, a network and a power system that is not that expensive um, to handle peak loads. So it's all quite an interesting balancing act. So if you're trying to go to renewable energy, the question is then how do you handle those peak hours or those peak load times? And it's a very difficult problem. And that's where we look at, uh, can we do a build out of um, say 500% renewables? And if you can get to that level, if you can put storage in the network and if you can try and stabilize the, uh, the network in terms of voltages and frequencies, then we could not just manufacture more, um, we could probably handle um, large uh, peak loads as well as um, you know, uh, in large industries. And so it's a, it's a big challenge, but um, there's quite a few interesting uh, minds working on this and uh, there's some great um, techniques and ports being developed. For example, in the aluminium industry, there's a technology called NPOT, which allows you to dial up and down the temperatures a little bit so that if you know an outage is coming, perhaps you can increase the temperature to get you over the hump a bit more and things like that. So it's called demand response uh, management. And uh, yeah, we're looking at uh, how we could possibly uh, string a lot of these technologies together to see what uh, kinds of benefits we could get in the end. Well, certainly AEMO has practiced demand response over the last few years and has got us through some very difficult summers recently. Yes, and in fact, they're, they're putting in some regulations around uh, some large industries if they can uh, dial down a bit they'll get rewarded for it uh, as well, some income. The City of Newcastle really noticed that when they um, brought in um, at the start of this year when they switched on their 100% renewables and we had that really hot spell, they were actually uh, contributing to the network. They were exporting energy and they were getting top dollar for that. And that brings me to the cost savings that the Council is predicting. They've obviously calculated what they were expecting, but this would have been an additional bonus this summer, I'd imagine. Yeah, look, um, uh, while they were trying to really focus on um, the environment, um, they were able to sign a power purchase agreement. And, and this is similar to the University of Newcastle too. They've, they've had a very uh, good um, deal when they signed up with uh, renewable energy as well. And uh, it gave them uh, yeah, economic savings um, and they can, trans they can translate that then to their... Um, to their rate payers. So at the end of the day, the rate payers will see um, you know, a million dollars plus or a couple of million dollars over 10 years. So it's, it's great for the uh, taxpayer, it's great for the environment. At the same time, you know, they're, they're reducing um, their, their, their power, their, the workers are using less and uh, it's a kind of win-win-win for everyone in the environment. It's great. So let's look at employment in renewables around Australia and then see what's happening in Newcastle. According to the ABS, the jobs in renewables for the 2018-19 to 19 period showed that there were 26,850 jobs, which is a 27% increase from the previous year, and there's been a 120% increase over 10 years in the jobs in renewable sector. This is in a new area, the renewable sector, so it's understandable that the jobs are low at the moment. But I could imagine that if we're going trying to target four to six to seven hundred percent renewables, that job number is going to increase dramatically. 
So, Kay, I, I've got a bit of a scoop for you here. Um, BZD is currently working on a one million jobs plan for a resilient localised economy. Um, this is an Australian-wide plan. Australian-wide, but it's uh, we are working on what does this mean for Newcastle. Um, we'll have to update you when we've done that uh, in about a month's time. Um, but uh, if people are interested in finding more about this million jobs for a resilient localised economy, then um, the 8th of May at the Stimulus Summit, which is a, a national summit, um, well, it's online, but it's uh, based out of Canberra from 11 o'clock, uh, there will be loads of people talking about the opportunities of using the stimulus package within the renewable energy sectors as well as other sectors. So if people want to find out more about this, it's the Stimulus Summit. It's on May the 8th and it's for smartenergy.org.au where you'll find out more information. That's, right That's correct. That's correct. And to give you a sense, so here's where the scoop is. Here's some actual numbers. But if uh, we were to look at a large-scale rollout of renewables, fast-tracking, um, the transmission issues that we've just discussed, that would be 100,000 to 150,000 jobs. Now, that's not just in the Hunter, that is um, across Australia, but it's a significant chunk of jobs that we could be investing in, in creating uh, resilient renewable resources for our communities. That's a significant number. That's very impressive. But at the end of the day, you're aiming at 1 million jobs. Over what period of time? So there will be a mixture of short-term, medium-term and long-term with the real aim to develop those long-term community-based jobs. So we're not looking at developing fly-in, fly-out type of jobs. We're looking at what jobs can we develop that actually increase the resilience and capacity of communities that support communities. Are there a lot of fly-in, fly-out workers in, around the Newcastle region currently? There are, there are quite a few within the, uh, they're, they're both fly-in, fly-out and uh, drive-in, drive-out, so dodo, dido, dido um, workers. Um, they tend to live near the coast or they tend to fly in and fly out from, uh, from Queensland and other places. Uh, that's a problem because it means that they're not in community, they're not participating, their kids aren't going to school, etc. And so the jobs that we're looking at are really meant to be long-term, reliable, community-building type jobs. Wow, that sounds like a great initiative. So for those who are interested, Google uh, smartenergy.org.au for the Stimulus Summit on May the 8th. BZD recently released the Collie Report for the town in Western Australia. Do you have any numbers there of employment in the electricity sector and what's possible with renewables in that area? Yeah, look, um, there was about... 1,200 coal-related jobs in Collie, and uh, BZD's research showed around about 1,700 jobs could be found to replace those. And, and they were kind of looking at quite interesting jobs that could be as well paid. And I mean, there's a lot of coal mining jobs that you might be driving a truck or you might be doing various things. Um, but in this case, uh, they, were, they were looking at quite interesting jobs. And uh, it was a 40% increase. While in Newcastle here, we don't have uh, actual coal mining uh, jobs per se or coal-fired power stations. Many, many people working in that field here in Newcastle, LGA itself. There are a lot of people who work in the associated areas of the mining equipment technology services sector. It's called the METS sector. So we've only got a minute or two now. So can we go yep. and talk about the number of current jobs that there are in this sector in the Hunter Valley? Yeah, if I can. 
yeah, quickly discuss that there's in the Hunter Valley, there's about 2,000 power station workers and there's about 14,000 working in the indirect uh, area. And then there's uh, in the 21 coal mines, there's about 11,000 workers uh, with about 40,000 indirect jobs. Um, and look, uh, if I can just say we're looking at jobs that uh, could replace those, there'd be green electricians and plumbers and builders and power engineers and plant operators scientists and analysts, uh, those that be closing and rehabilitating old, old coal mines, um, renewable hydrogen, uh, electric vehicle workers and educators. But then, you know, if we can get the ma manufacturing all ramped up, there'd be things like uh, manufacturing installation and operators, repairers and recyclers of, of the green materials and products. And these could include solar panels, wind towers, wind, wind power, um, Bioenergy, hot water systems—you know, solar, heat pumps, wow. and all that. So it sounds like a, a great, a great number of opportunities, and I understand that there's retraining that's going to be available. So my last yes. question, very quickly, is: given that the local community is pushing for these reforms, do they actually appreciate those job opportunities? Yeah, look, they do. I mean, um, they realise that uh, you know that the coal power really is a sunset industry, and that. Um, while some would like it to continue, um, many prefer, you know, safer, healthier jobs uh, where there's less pollution. Uh, there's a lot of coal dust, coal ash, all sorts of pollution. So uh, a lot would like to reskill into more interesting work. Great. So where can people find out more information about all this? So the best place to go is the Beyond Zero Emissions website. So www.bze.org.au. Touch base with us if you would like to be involved. BZE tends to work with a lot of volunteers around Australia and internationally so that we can bring the latest knowledge to our projects. And uh, we're always interested to hear from people on their thoughts, ideas, because this isn't about us telling uh, the people of the Hunter or the people of Australia what to do. It's about listening and enabling and supporting people to do what they see within their communities as important. So talk to us, connect with us, uh, visit our website. And just another reminder, we had the scoop today from Dominic on the show today that BZE is currently working on a million jobs for a resilient localised economy. It's a national project and there are going to be major announcements around this on the May 8th Stimulus Summit. So go to the smartenergy.org.au website and check out the events there. It's called the Stimulus Summit Renewables-Led Economic Recovery. Thanks so much for your time today, John and Dominic. Thanks, Guy. Thank you. Okay. We've been speaking to John Shield, researcher in Newcastle, and Dominic Hess, head of research at BZE. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more bze.org.au
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.